Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about Abraham's trusted confidant, Eleazar, and his example of faithful obedience and servitude. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from yesterday's message. Once Abraham moved out of Ur of the Chaldees, God blessed Abraham. And so it's really an issue of whether or not the Word of God is going to change a person depends on the heart of the person that the Word falls on. And Abraham's heart was not full of thorns. He always in his mind and in his ears was that God told me to go. And he wasn't going to be held back. And so he didn't let the so-called good life hold him back. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study in the book of Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Just like Abraham went forth to go into Canaan with the first part of that verse, the intention, many people are like Abraham with a good start in the Christian life. They really want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They start out well. It looks like they're going to go on, but they don't. And they stop. And there is no second part of the verse for them. But a certain hardness of life comes in, a temptation. And they're not like Abraham. And they don't have the into the land of Canaan they came. They give up. You know, I told you about the Hasidic rabbi who started off to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But then when he saw that it was going to cost him his wife and his house and his children and his family and his job and his congregation, he gave up. That is the heart described by the second group of the parable that we didn't read in Luke 8, if you still have that open to there, Luke 8, verse 13, where it describes this group as they on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time and temptation fall away. Those are the hearts described on the rocky ground where they hear the word of God, they receive it with joy, but they don't have any root. And so they've really not counted the costs. They really not have deeply considered and come to the conclusion, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And then it says about them that for a while believe. And so these are the for a while believers, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, but not Abraham. That's not verse 5 that says they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, into the land of Canaan they came. Now you see in verse 6, it describes for us where Abraham traveled when he came into Canaan. It says, and he, Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Moray. And then it says, and the Canaanite was then in the land. You know, that's an important statement at the end of verse 6. The Canaanite was then in the land. We have to ask a question. Why did God put that bit of information there? The Canaanite was in the land. I mean, that phrase was not there to inform us that the Canaanite was in Canaan. I mean, what, you know, what do you expect to be in Canaan? You know, Chinese? I mean, you know, it's like a Canaanite was in the land. That's not there for our information. <laughs> the phrase is not there for that purpose. So why is the phrase there? So why did he say that? The Canaanite was there in the, then in the land. 
Well, there's more to that phrase than just telling us that the Canaanite was in Canaan. So what's God trying to say to us? What's he trying to teach us? What's he trying to point out by that last part of that verse where it says, and the Canaanite was then in the land? You see the point? We have to see the first part of the verse and the last part together. So it would go like this. And Abraham passed through the land, and the Canaanite was in the land. See, the point is that the Canaanite is now going to be privileged. Why? Because he's going to be able to see firsthand what does a real follower of God look like. And that's Abraham. And so God brought this man Abraham into Canaan for the Canaanite, for the benefit of the Canaanite. Because wherever Abraham went, he influenced people toward God. He influenced people. You know, we see this, there was a wonderful, we're going to come to it, but there's a wonderful relationship which is described in Genesis between Abraham and his servant Eliezer. And we get a lot of insight into how Abraham influenced people that he came in contact with when we look at Eliezer. So if you turn, please, to Genesis 24, to get a little insight here. We're going to focus a little bit on a servant in Abraham's house called Eliezer. So here in Genesis 24, verse 2 and 3, we see we read these words. Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that's Eliezer, that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. I'll make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take, unto my, take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. So what do we see here? We see Abraham trusting Eliezer as a confidant. But why did Abraham trust Eliezer? Because Abraham had a certain relationship with this man of confidence. Abraham and Eliezer, it wasn't just a boss-servant relationship. They were friends. They were friends, and Abraham trusted his friend. And we see how Abraham had Eliezer swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of earth. Now, how did Eliezer know who was the God of heaven and the God of the earth? Because Abraham taught Eliezer. Because he taught Eliezer that Jehovah Jesus is the God of heaven and the God of earth. Now drop down to verse 7 in Genesis 24. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, from the land of my kindred, which spake unto me and swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from then. So here, again, more, we see Abraham teaching Eliezer. He's teaching Eliezer. He's telling Eliezer very, very confidential things, very, very secret things, so to speak, between him and God. And he's teaching him what God had done for him, what God had spoken to him. See, he's showing him, he's influencing this man, Eliezer, as he does that. Now, finally, we come in verse 12 down there where Eliezer speaks. And there, what I was trying to say before, he's all alone. Abraham's not there, but he's standing up for God. And he says, Eliezer says in verse 12, and he said, oh, Lord God of my masters. He's praying here. We see him praying. He said, I pray thee, send me good speed and show kindness unto my master Abraham. So whatever Abraham has said to Eliezer has stuck. And Eliezer is now a prayer to Jehovah Jesus. That's what we see here. And how did he know how to pray? And how did he know who to pray to? Abraham. 
Abraham taught Eliezer. Abraham taught him with words. Abraham taught him with examples. And then we said, and then we see in verse 27 that, well, again, now he's speaking, and Eliezer says, Blessed be, now he's giving testimony, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his grace. I, being in the way the Lord, led me to the house of my master's brethren. So here again we see Eliezer now standing up, standing up for Jesus. And so why? Because again, Abraham taught him. Look at verse 42. Again, now he's in a large group, and he's, he's speaking here. He's not ashamed of Jehovah Jesus. He's confessing him to others. He's saying, when he says this, verse 42, And I came this day unto the well, and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if now thou do prosper my way, which I go. So what is he saying? He's saying, I prayed to the God of heaven and earth. And so we see him not ashamed. See, that's what the Lord said. He said in Mark 8, 36 to 38, he said, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father. Why didn't Eliezer lose his soul? Because he wasn't ashamed of Jehovah Jesus. He confessed him before others because Abraham had led him and taught him. And then you see in verse 48, and then what happened? He says, and I bowed down my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, which had led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. So here we see Eliezer now worshiping and being very open about it as well. How did he know how to worship God? Again, Eliezer taught him. So where did Eliezer come from? We don't see, we don't see him now as Abraham's leaving uh, Haran. We didn't see him in Ur of the Chaldees. So where did he come from? Well, in Genesis 15.2, Eliezer is described as Eliezer of Damascus. Say Eliezer of Damascus. Now, if you look at a map and you sort of trace out Abraham's journey here, we say down over here is Ur of the Chaldees, and then you go up here, and this is Haran, and then you come on your way down to Canaan, and that's Damascus, and then you finally arrive in Canaan. See? It's like a big horseshoe like that. Okay, so he hasn't come to Damascus yet, and Abraham is getting servants along the way. As it said in verse 5, this is the souls that they had gathered in Haran. So Abraham is going to go from Haran to Canaan, and he's going to pass through Damascus. And as he gets through Damascus, guess what? Another servant comes on board. This is Eliezer, and that's where he came from. And so that was the greatest thing that ever happened in the life of Eliezer when Abraham got to town, Damascus, and he became a servant of Eliezer. And then because he became a servant of Abraham, Abraham influenced Eliezer, and Eliezer found God. And Eliezer's in heaven today, because Abraham came to Damascus. And in Damascus, Eliezer had the opportunity to be taken as a servant and then to be influenced by Abraham. So what we see in the relationship between Abraham and Eliezer shows us that no matter where Abraham was, he influenced people for God. And that's why 
The verse 6 is so important when it ends with those words, Abraham passed through the land, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Does God care about the Canaanite? Yes, he cares about the Canaanite, because the Canaanite's part of the world that God spoke of when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son in John 3.16, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the Canaanite, it's part of the world. And as far as God was concerned, when Abraham came into Canaan, God saw that as the opportunity for the Canaanites to find God. And it's the same for us. It's exactly the same for us. We go to work, we end up at work at a certain place, and what's God saying? God's saying, there's workers at that place, and you are my man to influence them for God. We end up in the hospital, and God says, There's nurses and orderlies and doctors at that place, and you are my man to influence them for God. Like Ed Landry, when he ended up at the University of Washington in the hospital for so many months, and he influenced many people for God. And God sends us, like he sent Abraham to those places, to be what is referred to, and turn to this if you like to, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, but it's a verse you're familiar with, where it says, Now then... 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. Just as Abraham was an ambassador for Jehovah Jesus, so are we. And just as Abraham beseeched Eliezer of Damascus uh, to be reconciled to Jehovah Jesus, so do we. And just as Abraham took the time to invest in Eliezer of Damascus by teaching him, by showing him, by taking him into confidence and how to pray to God, who God is, how to pray to God, how to worship God, how to abide in God, so do we. And just as Abraham took Eliezer and made him a disciple of Jehovah Jesus, so should we. Because everywhere Abraham went, He was doing that. He was influencing people to be reconciled to God. And notice in verse 7, Genesis 12, 7, where it then says, And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said unto him, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And it says in verse 8, And he removed from thence unto a mountain in the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, Ai on the east, and there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So Abraham's in this place, this place in Canaan. And what does he do? He builds an altar. And there Abraham, then Abraham goes on to another place. And what does he do there? He builds another altar. So everywhere Abraham's going, he's building, an, he's building altars, altars to Jehovah Jesus. And later, we're going to find after Mount Moriah that he goes back to one of his altars that he's built in the past. So that means that when Abraham moved on, he left those altars in place. He didn't take them down. He left them there in place. And those altars were like signposts to everybody else who'd come along. What's that? Oh, that's one of those altars that Abraham built. Oh, so Abraham's building altars all over the land of Canaan. He builds them in Moray. He builds them in Mamre. He builds them in Bethel. He builds them in Moriah. And the Canaanite, he's watching. He's watching Abraham. He's watching build those altars. He's watching 
Abraham, maybe from far, is worshiping. Look, Abraham's worshiping. There's come some smoke up from those altars, and he's seeing all these altars, and he's watching it. We can imagine the Canaanite asking Abraham, why are you building all these altars? What's with, what's with you? Why are you building all these altars? And Abraham would teach the Canaanite, like he taught Eliezer. And he would say, he would teach him about Jehovah Jesus, and he would say, you know, that, and, and as he would teach him, he would beg him, like he did Eliezer, be reconciled to God. The door's open for you. Now turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 2.14, because this is a description of what Abraham was doing as he was doing all this. It's a description of Abraham, it's a description of us also. Now, 2 Corinthians 2.14-16, through 16, where it says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now, I won't tell you, when I finish reading this, I'm going to ask you a question, so if you weren't paying attention before, maybe now you could, but anyway. All right, and manifest, makes manifest the savor of his knowledge in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, to the other we are savor of life unto life, who is sufficient for these things. So, where it says there that God makes, uh, causes us to make manifest the savor of his knowledge, where are we making manifest the savor of his knowledge? First question. Not a trick question. Where we are. Yeah, where we are. <laughs> the verse would be nice. <laughs> this is the words. Every place. every place. He says every place. Okay. Now, second question. How many parties are we a saver to? How many parties? To the saved and small. Okay, two or one, two, three, how many? So we look at this verse, look at the verse, okay, and then we'll see it here in verse 15. For we are who? We are unto who? We are unto God, a sweet saver. Okay, and then it says, then it speaks of the other two, which are the saved and the lost. So, We are a saver to God, to those saved, and to those who perish. Now, to the first, we are a sweet saver to God and to them that that, uh, are saved. To the first two, we are the sweet saver, the sweet saver. To the last one, we're not such a sweet saver. (laughs) When Paul wrote this, he had in his mind this practice of the Romans. The Romans had lots of practices. Not just the crucifixion, many, many cruel things they came up with. They were the masters of cruelty. But anyway, whatever the Romans would conquer a land, they would divide their captives, you know, the ones who survived, they would divide their captives into two groups. And one group was a group that devoted themselves to absolute loyalty to the Romans. And they would become the servants of Rome. And the other group didn't, or whatever reason there was, they were the other group, and when they got back to Rome, they would be fed to the wild animals or the games in the Colosseum. They would die. Dad, today you talked about Eliezer, the servant of Abraham. You don't hear very much about Eliezer in the Bible. What does God want us to know about Eliezer? Well, David... Eliezer is a very important person in the Bible, and it is true. We always focus on Abraham. We focus on Isaac. 
But Eliezer, there's one word to describe Eliezer, and that's the word faithful. And Abraham knew that he had a faithful servant, and he valued that faithfulness in Eliezer. And Eliezer was faithful because faithfulness is seen in the dark. In other words, faithfulness comes out when no one can see but God. And this is what we see with Eliezer. He had left Abraham. He was alone. And he could have said, you know, that Abraham, that's Abraham, that's Abraham's God, but I'm just going to go out and find a wife. But what we see in the heart of Eliezer is brought out in Genesis 24:48 when he said these things. I bowed down my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, which had led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. What we see in there, the three words are very important that we glean to tell us about the kind of person Eliezer was in his faithfulness. One, he says, I bowed down my head and worshiped the Lord. So we see that Eliezer was faithful in worship, and that's very important for us, and that's a challenge for us. All that we should be like Eliezer and have as our first priority to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, and this is what he did when he was not with Abraham, when he was away from Abraham. He bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And then it says that I blessed the Lord God of my master, which had led me in the right way. So in other words, he didn't only worship the Lord, but he worshiped the Lord intelligently. In other words, he worshiped the Lord with substance or content of thought. In other words, he knew why he was worshiping God. He worshiped God because he had relied and depended on God to lead him. He had come to God, and this is a challenge for us, he had come to God and he had said, he said, I don't know how to go. The the way that I should go is not in me. It's in you, O God. And so he, first of all, stripped himself, so to speak, before God of his own capability, of his own knowledge, of his own ability. And he said, I have none, but I have all in you, Lord Jesus, and I must have you to lead me. And when he did that, then God did lead him, and he led him to God's choice for Uh, Isaac's wife to be Rebecca. And when that happened, he paused and he stopped in his life. He stopped to bless God for having led him in the right way, which was God's way to take his master brother's daughter unto his son. And Abraham knew that he had in Eliezer a faithful man, and his faithfulness is seen in this Genesis 24, 48. You know, this is a faithfulness that's hard to find today. In Psalm 12, 1, it says, the faithful fail from among the children of men. Even in David's day, he can say, I can't find it. And even in Solomon's day, in Proverbs 20, verse 6, Solomon says, a faithful man, who can find? And that's why we appreciate the Lord so much, because the Lord is the faithful one, as it says in Isaiah 49, 7, the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel. It says in Matthew twenty five twenty three, when the Lord 
comes to reward, he's going to say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And from that parable, his Lord had gone away, and and this good, faithful servant continued on to do the things that he was supposed to do when he was not under supervision. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Number one requirement, number one priority, faithfulness. And that's the word, that's the wonderful word that was used to describe Abraham in Galatians 3, 9. When looking at Abraham and finding the adjective to describe Abraham, it says in Genesis 3, 9, so then... They which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. All that we might be faithful like Eliezer was. All that we might be faithful like Abraham was. All that we might hear from our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh, that would be a great thing for us to hear that. Thank you for joining us today. Now, do you have a call of God to be a missionary to the Jewish people, maybe full-time or just on a voluntary basis? Well, we'd like you to work with us at Israel Restoration Ministries in helping to build relationships with lost Jewish people and then ministering to them and evangelizing them with the gospel. Then we've got an opportunity for you at Israel Restoration Ministries. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org for more information. Friendshipwithgod.org or 1-800-247-3051. Reach a lost Jewish person with the gospel. Thanks for listening.